Thanks for listening to Code Switch. Check out the NPR One app for your phone for exclusive bonus content from NPR's hit podcast, Invisibilia, including a look inside a radical way of treating mental illness in Belgium. Find the brand new season of Invisibilia, stories from your local station, and more great podcasts on the NPR One app. It's on your app store now. Hey, this is Code Switch from NPR. What's good? I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Adrian Florido. So, Gene, uh, a few weeks ago, I was uh, reporting outside a Donald Trump rally at the convention center in Anaheim, California. It's my hometown, by the way. I was literally across the street from Disneyland. And there was this guy standing on the sidewalk waving this huge American flag. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I was a little confused. Because this guy looked Latino, uh, and so I was like, is he here for Trump or against Trump? Because usually it's the brown people at the Trump rallies who are with the counter-protesters, and the people waving the American flag tend to be with the white Trump supporters, right? Right. I mean, that's generally what I've seen when I've been out reporting or when I've been watching these protests on TV. So I wanted to know more about what this guy was up to, and I, I started walking toward him, and as I got close, I heard what he was yelling to the cars that were driving by. Woo! Donald Trump! So I guess you got your answer about where you stood. Yeah, but but I still wanted to know more about why this guy was out there. Uh, so I talked to him, and he told me his name is Gabriel Torres, and he was a military veteran. Standing here with this big American flag, whereas other people around here are flying, I see Mexican flags, I see a Colombian huh? flag. Do you wonder whether people think you're for or against Trump, or do you care? Yeah, no, people, people ask me, like, when I try and rally people and tell them, hey, I need help over here so we can spread the message to tell me, well, are you pro-Trump? And I have to tell them, no, but I fly this flag because I defend this flag. I fought for this flag, and I know people who had uh, shed blood for this flag. That right there, the way people of color use the flag and relate to the flag and feel about the flag, that's what we're getting into this week on Code Switch. It's July 4th. So, sort of. Ish, right? <laughs> A few days later, CPT. And we're here in D.C. where there are flags all over the place. And so all of those flags and my conversation with Gabriel Torres and other people at that Trump protest got us thinking about all this. Today, we've got two stories for you. First, we're going to go back to that Trump rally with Adrian and hear more about the way Latino protesters are using those flags. And later, we're going to talk to some Native Americans about their relationship to the flag. That's all after the break. This is Code Switch. Let's take a moment to thank and share a message from our sponsor, LearnVest. Did you know the average indebted American household has over $16,000 in credit card debt? And 31% of Americans have zero retirement savings. The good news is, LearnVest is here to help. LearnVest is redefining financial planning by making it affordable and accessible to everyday Americans. When you work with LearnVest, you tell them what you want to accomplish with your money, and they'll create a customized financial plan to help you get there see a financial plan and get a $50 credit, go to learnvest.com slash codeswitch. Thanks for listening to Code Switch. Hidden Brain is the NPR podcast about social science you can apply every day. Things like how being busy affects our motivation and when personalization online leads to discrimination on Airbnb. Find the Hidden Brain podcast with NPR's Shankar Vedantam at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app.
All right, you're listening to Code Switch, and we're back. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Adrian Florido. All right, Adrian, uh, you were saying before the break that you were at this Trump rally in Southern California, and you were talking to some anti-Trump folks who are mostly Latino, and you were really curious about the flags that they were waving. Yeah, so earlier I had read about this other Trump protest in Orange County, and uh, there was a guy there who pissed a bunch of Trump supporters off, apparently, by waving a Mexican flag. Hmm. Did you think he was just trying to troll them, or...? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I read it more like something was changing in, in the way that Latinos were, were protesting. All right, say more. Well, I remember these big protests around the country a decade ago in, in 2006 when immigrants and Latinos were, were marching for a couple of reasons. One was to demand immigration reform. The other was to protest this big bill in Congress that was supposed to crack down on undocumented immigrants. And these protests started small mm-hmm. with students like walking out of class. And I talked to um, this guy named Pedro Rios. He's a longtime activist in San Diego. And he was at one of these protests in San Diego uh, taking pictures. You see in the images uh, young people uh, carrying Mexican flags. And it's a sea of Mexican flags that essentially stretches, I would say, maybe three or four blocks. So Pedro said those students were sending a message by intentionally choosing to wave those Mexican flags. Hmm. So like... We're here. We're part of our heritage. Yeah. We're not apologizing, that sort of thing. Yeah. And okay. so, but here's the thing you fast forward just a couple of weeks, right, to later in that spring of mm-hmm. 2006. And these protests were gaining steam. And really quickly, they became the largest immigrant rights marches in U.S. history. Huh. And there was this push by these big national groups to start sending a different message. They wanted people to start waving the U.S. flag. Uh, and it was interesting because pretty soon the Spanish language media Pero got on board. Lo importante es manifestarnos en paz y manifestarnos con civismo, las camisas blancas y la bandera de los Estados Unidos, en señal de que nosotros amamos, respetamos y adoramos y haremos que se respeten los símbolos sagrados de esta gran nación, igual que la uh, que las de nosotros. Eso es cierto. ¿Por qué? Okay, so this guy is El Cucuy de la Mañana. He was uh, one of the most influential Spanish-language DJs in L.A. at the time. And he and other uh, DJs like him were a big part of the reason that so many people came out to these huge protests. And this is from um, the morning of May 1st, one of the largest protest days. And he's telling people, look, come out and protest civilly and wear your white shirts and bring out your U.S. flags. You know, not Mexican flags, not Guatemalan flags, not Ecuadorian flags. Bring out your U.S. flag to show that you respect and adore the United States. And he literally says that. He says, let's show them that we adore the United States, that we respect this country. And that's what people did. If you look at pictures from those protests, you just see this ocean of U.S. flags. But here's the thing, that didn't sit well with um, a lot of grassroots activists like Pedro Rios, who we heard from a little bit ago, who felt like suddenly the establishment was kind of dictating the, the terms of the protest. I think, unfortunately, to the detriment of what had been a natural reaction of the youth who were expressing themselves in a completely different way. But that discomfort that a lot of grassroots activists like Pedro had about the optics of the protest, they kind of got drowned out because there were so many people who came out and and they did follow El Cucuy's marching orders, right? They did mm-hmm. bring out the U.S. flag. So, like, here's the thing: there was actually a lot of optimism that came from all of the momentum that was built um, among Latinos by these protests. So, these big marches in 2006 with all these American flags, what came out of them? Sort of a mixed bag. The anti-immigration bill failed, so mm-hmm. that was good for protesters. And these protests are also generally credited with being kind of what sparked the Dreamer movement. And the Dreamers are 
those young undocumented immigrants who had parents who brought them to the States when they were really young. Right. So, but then on the other side, a lot of people say that these marches also galvanized the Minutemen. The Mm. Minutemen were those armed vigilantes who basically, you know, patrolled the border searching for immigrants. Right. And I guess they wanted immigration reform too, which never happened either. Right. Um, That's still a big debate in this election. Right. And, you know, Gene, like, if you go out there now to protests where people are fighting for these things or protesting Trump, you're not really going to see as many Latinos at these protests waving the American flag as you saw 10 years ago. So, Adrian, it, it sounds like the dude that you interviewed earlier, Gabriel, yeah. uh, who we met before the break, who is waving his American flag at those Trump protesters. Um, it sounds like he's kind of an outlier. He was. I mean, there were more counter-protesters at that Trump rally with Mexican flags than with U.S. flags. So take this guy I talked to there. Uh, his name is Gil Sanchez. Okay. He actually participated in those immigrant rights marches back in 2006, right, mm-hmm. when everyone was waving the U.S. flag. And he said, obviously, that didn't work. Ten years later, he's at this Trump rally, and he was decked out when I talked to him. He was decked out. He had a Mexican soccer jersey. He was waving a Mexican flag. And by the way, as we were talking, a bunch of Trump supporters had just sort of paraded through with their U.S. flags chanting at these Latino protesters about building the wall. It doesn't matter what happens. If they, if they hate Mexicans, they're going to hate Mexicans, whether you're carrying an American flag or a Mexican flag. That's my feeling. They already hate us, the ones that hate us. This is kind of like my FU to their face by wearing a Mexican flag. It's like they got to remember that this was once part of Mexico and you just don't throw a line on the ground and say, okay, now everybody's split up. You're American. You're not Mexican anymore. Uh, that doesn't fly in my family. I'm sorry, but I'm still Mexican too. So, right, he's basically like, if you don't think that waving the stars and stripes is going to change a lot of minds about his right to call himself an American and be an American, why not just be like all Mexico everything? Why not just wave the Mexican flag? Yeah, I mean, the irony there, right, is that like, this guy comes from a military family too. He said his family had served in a lot of wars, mm-hmm. and yet he still felt this way. And I actually heard a lot of this kind of sentiment that day. Listen to um, this other guy I talked to um, named Victor Valladares. We've tried to blend in for so long. With, with the American culture, but we're not being accepted. We're already being discriminated against. I'm being, or prejudiced views. I suffer that right now, earlier today, telling me to go back to Mexico, deport, build the wall. I'm an American citizen. So, okay. Other than Gabriel by himself yeah. out there with the U.S. flag, waving it around, was this vibe, the one we just heard from Victor, was that the vibe you were getting from the Latino protesters pretty much across the board that day at that protest? It was the vibe that I did get from a lot of the protesters there. Mm -hmm. There was this kind of crazy moment when a bunch of protesters ripped the head off of a Donald Trump vignette, Mm -hmm. and they mounted it at the end of this post that had the Mexican flag on it, and they started uh, marching it around. But then it's complicated, because not everyone was down with that. Like, there was this couple that I met, and they were just sort of standing there taking in everything that was going on. And they were looking really cool. Like, they were dressed like these really cool old-school Chicanos. And so I went up to them and, and, and talked to them a little bit. I noticed that you've got an American flag here folded up um, in a triangle. Yeah. Um, we had a guy in the back behind the Hilton here asking uh, all the Latinos to uh, try to step on the flag. Um, found out who we, what he was about. Um, got the flag away from him. And, uh, you're, you're not going to disrespect the flag. No. You said you ripped it from his hands. I ripped it from his hands physically. He was a, a Mexican guy? No, he was, he, was a, a, he was a white guy. Two, two white guys. Yeah. 
and they asked and they you to yeah, they, flag they, with they, them. And they were walking around to all the Latinos in the back asking us, hey, we, we want to protest. We want to step on the flag. So wait, wait. They're saying that these white dudes were trying to get these Latino protesters to stomp on the flag, like with all these cameras around. Yeah, that, that's basically what they were saying was going on. And I told them that's taking it way too far. We're here for only one person that we don't like. It's not against America. It's only against Trump. So I physically ran. I ripped it from his hands. He did yell at me and said, give it back. The police did see it, witness it, but they left it, let it be. And no, I, we got it. We folded it properly as it should be. You know, not, we're, we're proud Latinos, proud of our heritage. We're also proud Americans. And, you're not, and we're here to protest one man inside that building. We're not here to protest America. It's not about the flag. It's not, it has nothing to do with the flag. It's not about America. It has to do with the presidential yeah. candidate it has inside to be that building. About Trump. What did you guys think that guy was trying to do? I think he was just trying to get pictures of the Latinos stepping on the flag to, to try and incite more hatred toward the Latinos. And look, Gene, I mean, these two went on to tell me that they kind of still thought everyone should be waving the U.S. flag. Mm-hmm. They're Mexican-Americans. I mean, their families are Mexican. But they sort of said, look, this is the U.S. This is America. I mean, we should wave the U.S. flag. And by the way, these two were nervous about giving me their full names. Um, so he said his name was Anthony, and she said that she was going by America that day. So that's that's a little on the nose, Anthony and America, with their literal reclamation of their American heritage and stealing back the flag. Right. Um, so, Adrian, I'm thinking about this, what you're saying, and we talk about this a lot on the team and report about this a lot, yeah. about the way that protest movements, especially protest movements with brown folks, how much disagreement there often is among people who have uh, the same policy, the same broad policy and political goals. There were a lot of big internal debates like this, you know, during the civil rights movement in the 1950s and the 1960s about, you know, how to dress and how to wear your hair and how to speak in public and present yourself. And you can still sort of see that happening today between the old line civil rights establishment and the activists, you know, they associate with Black Lives Matter about how to present yourself to the public. Yeah, and you know, I think, I mean, I think there's something similar happening here, right? Mm -hmm. In this case with Latinos and the flag. I think what's interesting here, though, is that like, you know, the pendulum is, is going to swing back and forth sort of over generations because with Latino immigration, there there are waves, right? And there are people who are coming to the U.S. constantly and putting down fresh roots all the time. Right. And because of that, this conversation about, you know, presentation uh, is constantly resetting in some ways. And so, like, the relationship to the flag. Yeah, the flag. That relationship is going to have to be renegotiated and sort of resolved constantly. Huh. So, Adrian, I'm going I'm to be nosy for a second. Is that something that happened, like, with you in your own life? Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I'm an American. I'm a Mexican. I'm a Mexican-American. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in elementary school, I, I tried out for a choir by singing, um, You're a Grand Old Flag. <laughs> you mean, like... You're a grand old flag. Yeah, <laughs> flying flag. You're such forever. a dork. <laughs> Peace, my you I pl- I pledged allegiance every day. I mean, I didn't have a very complicated relationship with the flag growing right. up. But sure. as I got older, I started learning about some of the really messed up history that the U.S. has with with other countries, obviously, but also with people of color here who are Americans. And and for me, the American flag is kind of a symbol of that. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as a symbol of the promise of this country and and the idea that the flag represents the prospect of of an an inclusive experiment where anyone can kind of integrate themselves into American society, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I have an an easy relationship with the flag because 
both of those things are represented by it, I don't know if I've gotten to a point where I can sort of ignore the ugly side of it enough to to wave the flag. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, those things sit next to each other uncomfortably. I remember on Twitter a few weeks ago, we, you and I were having yeah. this conversation with a bunch of people, um, people of color, about their relationships to the flag. And a lot of people were saying, just like you, that as they got older, they stopped saying, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance, they stopped saluting the flag, they stopped putting their hands over their hearts. That wasn't too surprising. But what was surprising to me was there were more than a few people who said, like, it's because of so, how imperfect this history has been, right? Like, mm-hmm. that they felt like they had to do those things. Like, they came around on the other side as adults. Like, they stopped saying the pledge and they stopped saluting the flag. And then they came back around and said, like, this is a statement of purpose, right? One of the ways you hold it accountable, just on a personal level, is to do that, right? Is to say, like, yes, not yet, but one day, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Huh. I think I'm going to have to give that some thought. All right, y'all, there's this other story we want to tell you guys today, and it starts with this. That is a flag song. A lot of Native American tribes sing these songs to the U.S. flag. And look, I'm going to say right here, I am not Native American. Neither am I. Right. But when I lived in San Diego, uh, I loved going to powwows because Mm -hmm. there are a lot of Native American tribes in that part of Southern California. Uh, And at the very beginning of a powwow, there's this grand entry and uh, all of the dancers are walking in behind the flags and they've got their tribal flag. Mm -hmm. But at the front, a little higher than all the rest is the U.S. flag and and they're singing to it. Huh. And so... I must confess some naivete here. When you were first telling me about this tradition, uh, I found it fascinating that there would be this kind of veneration for the U.S. flag and that it would take such a central role in the ceremonies of people who historically have been treated terribly by the United States government. There's a serious debate about whether we should call what the U.S. government did to Native American people genocide. Yeah, the U.S. broke treaties with tribes Mm -hmm. and forced Native people off their land and relocated them to reservations. There was the Trail of Tears. Thousands of people died on it. The government took Native children from their families, forced them into schools where they couldn't speak their languages. A lot of those languages are gone now. Right. And, you know, there's still all sorts of issues that tribes face with the U.S. government today. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, why I was also surprised the first time I went to a powwow and heard a flag song performed. So, um, Gene, you and I asked some folks about this. Uh, one of them is Joe Taylor. He's a citizen of the Muscogee Creek Nation. He's also a Marine. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a radio man in Vietnam. And so we asked him, why do tribes, you know, with all this ugly history, why do they sing to the U.S. flag? First of all, it's to honor the fallen. And it's also to honor those who went before and um, gave some of their life to the service of uh, their people is the way they look at it. It's not so much the nation but there are people, and each tribe has their um, their song of anthem, their national anthem. So are these flag songs directed toward both the tribal flag and the stars and stripes? Uh, yes, yes, because a Creek Indian didn't go over there and fight with the Vietnamese, you know. He went over there and fought with uh, 
the Army or the Marine Corps or uh, the Navy. And so that's what the United States uh, American flag stands for. It stands for that, that purpose that he served or she served, I should also add. And so, Adrian, yeah, that was a thing I didn't really get before, that natives serve in the U.S. military at much higher rates than, than anyone else, than any other group. Right. And that really starts during World War One when natives start joining the military in large numbers, because before that, obviously, Native Americans were fighting against the U.S. government, which was driving them off their ancestral land. Here's what Jill Greer, a sociologist at Missouri Southern State University, told us. It's surprising how many people volunteered, how many uh, Native men volunteered to fight in World War I. And they were actually being drafted as well, uh, even though they weren't technically citizens. Uh, you tell me how that works. <laughs> right. Your, your, your country can draft you whether you're a citizen or not. One of the things Jill told us was that, you know, there's always been this tradition among Native Americans of honoring returning warriors with song. And so when they started coming back from World War One, the warrior songs just kind of naturally evolved into flag songs. It's a direct transference in some ways of that of way of honoring the veterans. So now that you're honoring veterans in a new way, they are serving as U.S. military personnel. Jill's written about one particular flag song, the Oto Missouria, and she actually said that in the language of the Oto Missouria, the word for warrior and veteran is actually the same word. Right. So we called up another guy. His name is Ngozi Foley. He sings the flag songs of a bunch of different nations, and he's out on the powwow circuit right now. Uh, Gene and I caught him on his cell phone in South Dakota. Hey, Ngozi. How are you? Can I just ask you to start by singing a, a flag song for us? A flag song, okay. Well, I'll just start by saying this. Every tribe in Indian country has their own flag song. Not every flag song is exactly the same. Some mm-hmm. may sound alike, and some might have similar words, but they're all just pretty much talking about the same thing. This one uh, comes from uh, the Kiowa tribe down around uh, their headquarters are in Carnegie, Oklahoma. <clears throat> Could you tell us what that means? That song I just sang to you is uh, the Kiowa flag song, and it's still sang around Oklahoma to this day. And what my grandpa told me those words mean, uh, it's saying, uh, raise this flag in the most reverent way because a beautiful thing happened the day the war ended. Like that. And that was, song was made, as he told me, just a few days after the First World War was over. What flag are we talking about here? The U.S. flag, that's the flag that they fought over. So, Nikosa, you know, one of the things that surprised me in one of the early powers I went to was to actually learn that there was such a thing as a flag song and that uh-huh. and that tribes sang to the American flag because of the complicated and often sort of terrible history that tribes have with the U.S. government. Right. Have you thought about this? From my understanding... We never really have, uh, since probably World War One. we've never really exactly fought for the country, but we fought for the land. And because this is the land that, uh, that we live on, and this is the land that our people live on, where we come from, and probably where we're going to 
probably going to leave this world and go on to the next. That's why we fight for it. And my belief, it, it, early on when I was a teenager, I was the angry young Indian kid who was saying, why are we fighting for or the military? Aren't they the ones that have been killing us and all that? But as I've, uh, as I've been getting older and uh, been contemplating this a lot more and as I've had more time to think, I've uh, just kind of been uh, thinking along those lines. When Indians go to war with our U.S. military, we're not exactly fighting for the same reasons that, uh, that, a, lot of, uh, that a lot of other people might join. And uh, when we sing those flag songs, we might be singing about the flag. Yes, we might. But that's because it's the flag that represents our land, not the country. And when we fight for our land, it kind of gives us kind of gives us more reason to fight. I guess you could say that's that's why I can put it. And plus, those are the flag. That's the flag that our warriors fought under. So, in that aspect, it, you could be the militant and say, "Why are we singing these flag songs?" But once you have the time to think about it, you know, especially when I sing flag songs, you know, I sing for you know my mom because you know she fought in Desert Storm. She served her time. And uh, any other members of my family who fought for me went over to where they were going to fight to, you know, to protect us, to keep our land safe. Hey, have a great summer out there, Ngozi. Yeah, no problem at all. Cheers. Thank you so much, man. So Ngozi's mom, she was actually listening in on the conversation with us. Her name is Jerry Wisner. She's kind of a badass. She's definitely a badass. (laughs) She's a citizen of the Muskogee Creek Nation. She's a lawyer and a judge in Tulsa. She's the director of the Native American Children's Alliance and... I served in the United States Marine Corps from 1988 to 1993. Yeah, like her son, Nikozi, told us earlier, uh, she served in the first Iraq War, Desert Storm. I have a very patriotic family. My mom made sure at an early age we knew all of the uh, patriotic songs, every word and lyric to the national anthem. But we also grew up knowing our traditional ways and the fact that Native people were not always, even though we're indigenous to the United States, we were not always citizens of the United States. Um, The Muscogee people originally came from the Alabama, Georgia area and um, were forcibly moved to Oklahoma. So this is our home. And we would readily and will readily fight for our home, our homelands. And it was something that I, uh, I was glad and proud to hear Nagosi say. It's not so much about the United States flag as it is our homelands. When you look at the U.S. flag, Jerry, what do you think of? Uh, you know, it, it can depend on the time of day, the time of year, um, my mood. But... I can say that I look at it with a lot of pride and with ownership because I feel like I have uh, given a portion of my life to defend the flag and as well as the United States. Um, I also recognize that there remains a lot of uh, conflict, a lot of animosity that exists between tribal nations and our federal government. Um, But this is where we are today. You know, it's kind of like uh, trying to have resolve with a conflicted history. Yeah, and to that point, she was telling us about how her relationship to the flag, she has a very intimate relationship to the flag, how it reminds her of that conflicted history. Mm-hmm. So she's a member of the of the Muscogee Nation Honor Guard. It's a group of veterans who are basically the caretakers of the tribe's flags, including the U.S. flag. They're the ones who accompany the flags at tribal ceremonies, at funerals, that kind of thing. 
And one year, she said that the Honor Guard took a trip down to the tribe's original homelands near what is today uh, Macon, Georgia. And on the way, they stopped by the battlefield where the Muscogee tried to fight off Andrew Jackson's army, but where, you know, they were defeated. And they still have the cannons on the field. And um, we visited in full uniform. And uh, it was a surreal moment. And looking down the the, uh, barrel of the cannons, um, uh, that was a bit disarming, disheartening, um, and and melancholy. I I I felt more Muscogee then than uh, than any other time. But I also mm. felt like a Marine. That was Jerry Wisner. This is Code Switch from NPR. I'm Gene Demby with Adrian Florido. Our producer is Walter Ray Watson. Our editors are Alicia Montgomery and Tasneem Raja. You can find us on Twitter at NPR Code Switch. You should definitely subscribe to our podcast. And we want to hear from you. Email us at codeswitch at npr.org. We're back next week. Be easy. Be easy.